Welcome to Bewildered. I'm Martha Beck, here with Rowan Mangan. At this crazy moment in history, a lot of people are feeling bewildered, but that actually may be a sign we're on track. Human culture teaches us to come to consensus, but nature, our own true nature, helps us come to our senses. Rowan and I believe that the best way to figure it all out is by going through bewilderment into bewilderment. That's why we're here. So, Marty, I think there's a pretty good chance that our listeners are out there going, oh, wow, I have a lot of cultural messages in my head and Mm -hmm. it's not that easy to access the voice of my true nature. Yes. And I don't know, they might be thinking, is there anything else that I could do other than listening to this podcast to help me learn to listen to my heart? Well, I had this question, even as a young child, I would say, I am not happy. And people would say, well, it's all in your head. And I'd be like, I know, get it out of my head. But nobody could really help me do that. And so um, in my 20s, I sort of made up a system to help me detach from cultural messages and connect with my true nature. And it ended up being my career as a life coach and then training people to do the same thing. And I think that, you know, it's just like people who feel the urge to heal themselves, heal, help others heal and heal the world, mm. that this this term life coach sort of slots into that in our culture. And yeah. people take the training to hang out a shingle and become life coaches. People take the training because it's like getting life coaching yeah you know and people also take the training just to learn to access their own true nature yeah it was originally just a access your own true nature course Mm -hmm. but when you've mastered that you really want to share it with other people and people want to be shared with and they will pay you money so if that's the way you want to go that's why it ended up being life coach training but it's actually wayfinder which is different. It's about finding your way by connecting with your true nature and and steering your own course. So if people are interested, you can Google Wayfinder Life Coach Training or go to marthabeck.com and you will find your way. Yes, you will. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. Hi, I'm Martha Beck. And I'm Rowan Mangan. And this is another episode of Bewildered, the podcast for people trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Tell me, Marty, what are you trying to figure out this week? I am trying to figure out what to do with our half Zeus baby as she grows. Right, yeah. I've said previously that we believe that the sperm donor um, for Rose IVF procedure was Zeus. Um, A lot of people think you know, that having a baby that's half God is going to be all like awesome all the time, but it comes with challenges and people don't realize. It's right. You're you're absolutely right. They're always like, I don't know, firing up a forge in the basement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bashing down pillars. It's not easy. So yeah, her superhuman strength is becoming a huge issue as she approaches two years old. I mean, when she was five months old, she could still drag Adam around the house helpless in her grip (laughs) and now she's two and I've been trying to buff up to cope with her (laughs) seriously I've been getting physical therapy and then I lift weights like a maniac to try to build my strength up so she followed me in we have a little home gym right and she follows me in there and I'm doing these things for physical therapy that are called kettlebell exercises. Have you seen these things? I have now. They're like weird little suitcases, like a really heavy block of metal with a handle on it. 
They look like something that you shouldn't pick up if it's going to be yeah. heavy. They look like they don't look like they're no. aerodynamic or good for your back. No, they don't look good. No, no. They, don't. they come from. I have heard from the 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 dark days of Soviet repression in um, Russia, <laughs> and apparently they invented these to make people feel worse. <laughs> Which is, I don't know, this is, uh, sorry for all our Russian friends out there. I'm sure that you're just a jolly, jolly bunch. No, that's not true. I went to school in Singapore with a bunch of uh, Russians who had to have a Soviet communist minder there, watching them learn Chinese so that they wouldn't learn anything that was against the party. And they were not happy people. This is a complicated <laughs> they just, backstory. They would bring it. vodka, they would get drunk, they would sing songs in Russian, and we would all, our only common language was Chinese. So it was very strange. Anyway. More about that someday. No doubt. It was a fun experience. Mm -hmm. So anyway, back to the baby. Kettlebells, the baby. <laughs> so what you do with a kettlebell, it's like, it's like you're trying to lift an incredibly heavy bucket of despair. <laughs> and so what I'm supposed to do is get one of these kettlebells between my legs, not the way you think, Hello. on the floor with my legs to either side. Yeah? All right. Okay. And then you squat low. You squat very low, you grab the kettlebell by its weird little handle, and you slowly, in a controlled fashion, you stand up from your deep squat as you lift the bucket of despair over your head, mm -hmm. and then you slowly come down again. Mm. So I'm doing this with like 15 pounds, and it's killing me. And Lila comes in, and she, she sees the five-pounder, which I can barely lift myself. So she goes over there and they're very imitative at this stage, young demigods. <laughs> so she grabs the five pounder, she squats down. <laughs> she comes up from a deep squat, lifting that thing and she flings her arms up over her head with such force, I am not kidding you, that she flies into the air <laughs> and goes backwards like five feet and lands head first with the kettlebell still over her head and the most startled expression <laughs> I've ever seen on a human being. And I'm like, that's because you're half Zeus. Mm. I can't lift that thing. You managed to not only lift it, but make it make you fly. <laughs> and now I'm afraid she has like a gym phobia and will never work out again. Yeah, honestly. she did make some pretty extreme sounds after that. And yeah. we said, we just shouted down. We didn't, we weren't that worried, to be quite honest, even though she was making a terrible racket. There was a commotion upstairs. Yeah, we, we said, um, what happened? And you said, I can't explain it with language. <laughs> I have to show you. <laughs> and look, here you are explaining it with language to our Yeah, but the image isn't, uh, yeah, you had to be there, honestly. Someday I'll film the whole thing. But I'm not going to be able to get her to do that again because her will is stronger than all of ours. It's true. And she can hurt us all physically. Yeah. With yeah. a kettlebell. Yeah. But she can fly with a kettlebell too. It's confusing. She must be half Hermes. Wasn't he the one with wings on his feet? I, Whatever. Ro, what are you trying to figure out? Yeah, good. I'm trying to figure out like the nature of your like psychology. Oh God. There's a way that you have Heaven help you. There's a way that you have of being positive uh -huh. that is confusing to me. And I appreciate Why would that be, little girl? <laughs> How would you be confused? 
Why am I? I'm trying to confuse you <laughs> in a positive way. It's <laughs> sickening. Okay, let's not call me little girl anymore. Okay? I know I'm. Gr- it's gross. It's like I, I need to go wash my mouth out. <laughs> oh, now that sounds bad. <laughs> I just need to lie down. What? Go back. What were you saying? Come on. So out with it. My not, psychology. Not so long ago, I asked you a simple question. Yes. And I saw you struggle to be really positive. You didn't want to, you wanted to be honest yes. in answering me. Yeah. But you didn't want to make that honesty like hurt my feelings or something. This is a common problem. This and isn't so just I, me. What did I do? So I said to you, do you like blue cheese? Simple enough question. I honestly, like, I've got to tell you, Muddy, I wasn't that invested in the outcome of the question. I was just making conversation. One can never tell when confronted with a question like that, unprepared. <laughs> so this, so she looked like I was interrogating her and, like, cast her eyes about wildly about the room. <laughs> and, I'd, I'd, like, I'd, I'd deviously, like, talked her into a corner and now she didn't know how yes. to get out. How would anyone answer under this type of grilling? The third degree, <laughs> do you like blue cheese? Come up with it now. <laughs> so this is what she said. She said, no, but I am aware that some people do. (laughs) And I was just, like, I was trying to figure that out for some time. Do you like blue cheese? No, but I'm aware that some people do. What if you had, like, you... I didn't know you treasure your connection with blue cheese. Like it could be so important. You could have waited this long, you know, years into our relationship before you finally pop the question. Do you like blue cheese? (laughs) I think she's going to pop the question tonight. And you don't want to just toy with your beloved's feelings. What if you had a whole blue cheese spectacle that you were about to present to me and and I just condemned it with one word? No. So when... You say I popped the question. Was the confusion about the fact that I got down on one knee and had a little box that I presented (laughs) to you full of of blue cheese? (laughs) Marty, it's time. It's time. (laughs) We'll be right back with more Bewildered. I have a favour to ask. You might not know this, but ratings and reviews are like gold in the podcasting universe. They get podcasts in front of more faces, more eyes, more ears, all the bits that you could have a podcast in front of. That's what they do. So it would help us enormously if you would consider going over to your favorite podcasting app, especially if it's Apple, and giving us a few stars, maybe even five, maybe even six. If you can find a way to hack the system, I wouldn't complain and uh, a review would also be wonderful. We read them all and love them. So thank you very much in advance. Let's just go out there and bewilder the world. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. By coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. 
And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right, you can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. So, Marty, this is a Be Wild Files episode today because oh. we have been hearing from our beloved listeners. Oh. And sometimes it's more interesting to hear about what you all are trying to figure out. No kidding. Than what we are trying to figure oh, yeah. out. And if you're listening to this and you think, I'm trying to figure something out, I wish I could play along. Yeah. You can. You, you can, can play along. No worries. Go to my website rowanmangan.com slash bewildered, and I wrote out a nice little guide to submitting your questions it's amazing to us. How you did that. It is amazing. I don't have the logistical competency, but go, go ask questions. So today we're going to listen to Bev, and here comes Bev. Hi, my name is Bev. I'm from Ohio. I want to first thank you so much for this podcast. I love it and I am so grateful and it just speaks to my heart and I take away such wisdom and thank you for the work you're putting out in the world. If um, there could be a future focus at some point on codependency, I am learning so much about that term and what it means and how it applies to my life as a mother and caregiver. And wow, it's just, it's, I'm just becoming so much more aware and yet not uh, able to navigate um, or struggling to navigate. So any insight would be, I would just be so grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Bev. Thank you, Bev. Wow, this is a big one. And one close to our hearts. So close to our hearts. Our codependent little hearts. Yeah, and it originally was about, it's so funny because a book, uh, by Melody Beatty called Codependent No More kind of got the whole concept into the the collective psyche. Mm-hmm. And that book, her books helped me so much. And I just, I, I just absorbed them when I was in my early thirties. And now they've done a re a republication of Codependent No More. And guess who they sent it to for a blurb? Uh, I would have to guess Reese Witherspoon. Richard Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> he really uh, needs to work on his codependency. Yeah, no, they they did send it to me and I was like, and it's so nice that Bev asked about that because my whole brain is all sort of turned uh that direction as I read through this beautiful, wonderful book. So let's just like get straight to a good working definition of codependency because yes. I feel like there's where it came from and then there's also just the way that that term is used yeah. in a sort of pop psychology sort of way that is probably easier for most of us to relate to. Yeah. It was first about addiction and how that affects people. But now it really, what they really discovered was that um, codependency is the way people typically act when they're around an addict that they love, but it's also the way they, they react when they're around anyone else that they love. Yeah. So it's a, it's an over caretaking. It's basically putting someone else's well being and behaviors at such a, high level of attention in your mind that you actually forget yourself. Mm -hmm. So it's all about serving and helping others and making sure their lives are perfect. And you are not in the equation. Right. Right. And you can automatically see why Bev refers to herself as a mother. Right. With reference to codependency. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason we thought this was such a great question was because in our culture, for many of us, it is seen as laudable 
to have this disordered (laughs) behaviour where you put yourself last and almost like erase yourself in your caregiving for others, right? Yeah, there's this light bulb joke. How many good mothers does it take to put in a light bulb? How many? And the answer is, oh, no, you take it. I'll just sit here in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) And that's like the virtuous mother paradigm. And it exists a lot. Um, And what's so interesting is that when I started thinking about doing a podcast on codependency, I remembered this thing that we did. Um, I don't know. We hadn't been together for very long. We were living in California and we would get up in the morning every day one one winter and we'd Mm -hmm. sit down with our coffee in front of the fire and we would read that Melody Beatty. We'd read from the Melody Beatty book and then we'd just discuss our codependency, (laughs) which didn't seem odd at all at the time. It seemed perfectly natural. Because we were all flaming codependents. But then a friend of mine came from Australia and we were just like, so this this is the part of the day where we sit down and talk about our codependency. Um. You know, I was trying, so we read our little passage and we started talking about it and I was trying to like include my friend and be like, so do you find that in your codependency? And mm-hmm. my friend was a little bit offended. And she I said, would say quite a bit offended. I, I would say so. And she said, I just don't know how I feel about the fact that you are both just assuming that I'm codependent. And that's when Marty and I looked at each other like, that's a compliment we're paying you <laughs> thinking you're codependent. And that's when we realized that the culture is inside us. <laughs> yes, it has fully possessed us. Yeah. But- and of course, we immediately started groveling to your friend because that's what a good codependent does. You're not happy with me? Okay, I'll do anything to make you happy. That's what a good codependent. What does a bad codependent do? <laughs> um, that, but also then with a little murder afterwards. Love. Because it. if you put all attention off yourself and on other people, the natural response going from culture to nature is it feels wrong. It it can feel like resentment. It can feel like exhaustion. Uh, and I don't think there's a parent out there who's tried to be a good parent who hasn't felt this way, like put the baby first to the point where you, you are falling apart. Mm. And it, it kind of is a natural thing that happens when you've got a very very small infant Mm. but then we like try to make it persist throughout the life cycle where we're always there for our kids and we're always there for everybody trying to make them happy the way you would try to make a brand new baby feel happy right so it's not just a dynamic that plays out in parent-child relationships it's often in in you know spouse relationships and all kinds of different ones yeah friendships Mm -hmm. even professional relationships um because it is it's like that's a good way to think about it is that you assume everyone else is as needy and unable to communicate as a newborn baby Mm. so you have to read their minds guess their needs um give them what they want before they even know they want it and always keep them happy. Right. So you, you project what they want and need, and then you try to do it before they're conscious of wanting it. it. Yeah. Just do something before they stop screaming. This is the, this is the code when it's a newborn baby, I'm still talking about newborn baby, but when you grow up, it's more like if somebody says, well, uh, I've been staying at your house for a day and a half and you haven't offered me any blue cheese. <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God, get 
cream cheese. Like you don't want anyone else to be unhappy with you in any way or unhappy with life and, in any and way. And that's why you were being codependent when you refused to give me a direct answer yes. to the question, do you like blue cheese? Because you thought that I needed you to like it. Well, I was trying to figure out if you needed me to like it <laughs> because that's the whole thing of codependence. They like you're trying to figure out what another person's psyche is doing so that you can, you know, fill all their needs before they, before they get uh, upset. And when we were chatting about this, you talked about how like for some people in, in some relationships where there's the person who is receiving the, the codependence attention mm-hmm. gets really used to it and enjoys that and how does that so what how does that function it's kind of the definition of entitlement in a way because you get served by the other person and you don't even realize what's going on so the metaphor I always use with people once I figured it out for myself intellectually if not emotionally (laughs) is that um, if you ask a spider what it loves and whom it loves it might tell you I love flies Hmm. because spiders love flies the way they crunch, the way they taste, all about flies is wonderful for a spider. Sounds and delicious. the way they express their love is to capture the fly and wrap it up alive in like a little torturous straitjacket. And then whenever the spider wants a snack, it can go down, inject its like mouth parts into the living fly and <laughs> suck out some life essence and just go, that was wonderful. I just love talking to you. We're such good friends, right? Because I always feel better after we talk. And the fly is going, that's so interesting because I do not. Transfer that to like energy, attention, um, you know, service to another person. The codependent is the fly. Like I feel completely bound to sit here and wait for you to take my life energy for your needs. And the spider is like, this is such a great relationship. So the person higher in the power hierarchy is often the spider and it's being served by the fly. I will give you what you need because otherwise you will hurt me. And the spider feels like they're best friends and everything's great. And the fly is being slowly consumed from within and that's how codependency feels. But the the fly is participating in its own yes. disempowerment. Yes. It's not like the spider catches it and, and wraps it up. The fly comes over and says, I'm, I'm more than happy for you to wrap me up and suck my life force, right? I would argue that there is a net that the, that the fly gets caught in initially. A web, surely. So the, the fly, is like, let's say you're a baby, you're a child, everything's great. You little fly. And then you just kind of encounter someone who is already a spider. So it has the psychology of entitlement, addiction, whatever that there's that whole, it's the opposite of codependency. And um, that's a topic for another podcast, but it's basically a sense of being entitled to be served by codependent people. Right. If your mother is highly codependent and does everything for you, you can grow up expecting Mm. that people will just do everything for you. Like your mother did. Right. Mm. So at that point, um, the the I've lost who's who in this scenario, but the say the fly is a girl fly <laughs> identifies cis female, gets caught in a web, and says, "Oh, okay." So that this oh, I have to start over. Just she has become enmeshed in her own metaphorical web about a metaphorical web. Okay, you're a fly. You're born free. Born free to fly. And you go zipping about. You get caught in the web of someone who is already 
entitled and then they get angry at you if you don't serve them the way uh, their mother did or whatever right. they do or they whine or they they get sullen anyway they give you clues mm-hmm. that you're not doing it right and as a happy little fly you're like oh i want to make you happy mm-hmm. and before you know it that's the string wrapping around and around and around you is their reactions of feeling entitled and being angry or sad if you don't do everything they want gotcha and it it looks as I said, like a lovely relationship, but it's really only lovely for the spider. And not even that, it's not good for anybody. Yeah. So how does this, how does the culture encourage this sort of relationship playing out? Like, because on the podcast, what we try to do is kind of pull aside the curtain Mm -hmm. to make ourselves um, conscious of, of where we're being manipulated by the culture away from our own truth. So I'm mm-hmm. curious about, like, this is obviously a psychological phenomenon, but it's also, there's also culture at play in uh, encouraging that kind of behaviour yeah. out yeah. of some of us, right? Yeah. Change, eh? Mm, it sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change. And it's 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 pervasive, but it, the first thing that comes to mind is something that happened several decades ago, but it's still... The, the echo of it still resonates. And it was, a, it was a radio program called Queen for a Day. And on this radio program, people would send in um, stories of the mother or wife in their family who was so depleted by constant caretaking. Like, uh, she, she goes to all the soup kitchens and makes soup and all day long. And then she comes home and she makes soup for us. And then she tucks us all in and she's... Um, she's wasting away. She's got several terminal illnesses. She's depressed. And they would try to build it up. So this woman was so deserving of pity. Mm. And, and then they'd compete to see who deserved the most pity. Mm. And she got to be queen for a day and get her a new washer dryer. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. To help her serve others. More. Yes, to oh help her God. serve others. And that was sort of the model of virtuous motherhood wow yeah yeah so I mean I it's hard to avoid the fact that this is a bit of a gendered thing when you look at traditional gender roles there is a lot of mother and wife in there I don't think I'm imagining that yeah there are plenty of male codependents male identified codependents but it, it is true that it's for anybody who is higher in the power hierarchy they're more likely to be conditioned to act like a spider to be and that's true of race as well as gender and then the people down lower in the power structure expect to be treated badly expect to have to do things for others with no particular reward uh they undervalue themselves and 
yeah, it, women have been lower in the power hierarchy than men historically. So it is much more identified as a female virtue. Virtue. Yeah. yeah. And that's what we were playing out when we were like, to my friend, we were like, well, we were just complimenting you by assuming you were codependent. Yeah, you know? but you give till it hurts. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it's so interesting. I definitely feel that as a more recent mother to a half god. Um, <laughs> just that um, that sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle pressure from other people to obliterate myself in service of my child, you know. Yeah. And, I mean, I'm, I'm putting that strongly. It is a much more subtle thing, but um it's i think it's it's what's given rise to the very common um refrain that people use about borrowed from the airplane safety thing about yeah. you know you have to fit your own oxygen mask before your child right you know and and that gets applied to women's lives much more broadly because if if we're all running ourselves ragged at a certain point we're not right. good to anyone yeah i do think also that um, if you've had to take care of some someone or something, um, like a, a pet or a baby, and the most of the people doing care for very young babies are women, you you get into that mindset of trying to be almost psychic about understanding other people what they need. And I got much more codependent during the times when my older children were tiny, mm-hmm. and had to sort of pull myself out of it and learn. Well, I'll never forget speaking of the way nature does things when when my kids my older kids were about 12 14 and 16 or 10 12 and 14 um they were all they were sitting around like writing computer programs and stuff i mean they were capable of taking care of themselves while i was making them dinner one day and the, uh, the tv was on and it was a documentary about bears which the narrator pronounced mayor and it, i'll never forget i was making a salad and looking at the TV and the man said, the mother bear will not do things for her cubs that they have learned to do for themselves, for this would make them ill-equipped to survive in the wild. And I was like, wait, (laughs) wait. And I looked at these three very competent human beings whom I was serving dinner. And I just said, you know what, kids? <laughs> Things are going to change. If you can do it for yourself, I'm not going to do it for you. Because um, that is nature's way. Yeah. And you actually incapacitate people by doing everything for them. So if we want to follow Bev and say, okay, to come back to our true nature away from you know, what's our wild nature here mm-hmm. away from the kind of culturally informed codependent yeah. dynamic set of behaviors. How can we do that? Do you think, Marty, what's the, what's, how do we unhook from the spider fly relationship? The first thing is to notice that it's happening. Um, mm. I had people tell me a lot, a lot, like you are, you seem really worn out and you're trying to take care of everybody and it's stupid. Mm. <laughs> I mean, people were very blunt about that. So that's one clue. <laughs> but another clue is that you start to feel exhausted mm-hmm. with other people and you have to go away by yourself to regain the the energy that you've expended taking care of other people. So you're exhausted around other people and it feels like a task. 
And then the last thing is you'll start to feel, you will deny this, but you will begin to feel resentful Mm. because anger is our boundary setting emotion and resentment is the little teeny kind of anger. And you just feel like, really, really? I made you six different kinds of blue cheese and you don't (laughs) like any of them? No, but I'm aware that some people might. Oh, so good. I feel so much better now. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, and then it also can happen in a lot of people when it was about addiction. It's when you hit bottom, you know, like addicts hit bottom when they have some gruesome experience. For an addict, it's when you realize that all the control efforts you're trying to use. I mean, sorry, for a codependent, it's learning that you can't control other people no matter how hard you try. You can't make them happy. You can't make them love you. You can't make them feel what you want them to feel or do what you want them to do. And so that's, so there's the resentment, there's the needing to get away, there's the clues from other people. And then there's this thing of, oh my God, this cannot work. I haven't been successful at making everyone happy, even though I've spent myself trying to do it. Mm, mm. So it must be like, it, it strikes me that there's going to be a challenge as you try to change your behavior with people that you want to maintain a relationship with just on different terms. Yeah. I mean, you've had plenty of experiences this way. I mean, sure. it's it's interesting because you at a certain point in your life were a caregiver for someone with paralysis, right? Yeah. Quadriplegia, yeah. And you always say that taught me to be a good helper and you are crazy good at helping i love helping i know but it's like it's supernatural (gasps) maybe you're the god half of lila hello which god is just a really good helper bucephalus (laughs) the god of codependency (laughs) actually bucephalus was alexander the great's horse but you know the two people can have the same name anyway how does it feel for you when you know you're exhausting yourself taking care of others, because look, you got a baby, you got me, you got their dogs involved. They're... <laughs> <laughs> That's a weird bit of language. Karen and Adam, and you're like trying to cook for, you, you think you should do everything. Mm. You think you should cook, you should clean, you should get Lila up, give her a bath. You should like, you, you try to do everything and every now and again, you burn out. That's true. That's the truth of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. So that's how do you get back? Um, well, I don't have to unhook from those behaviors with people who feel entitled to them. And I think that's the difference is, yeah, I tend to over help or over caretake, but all what I look, this is not, this is not good behavior, but what I start doing is, um, like (laughs) being really pathetic and like, apologizing for not doing everything and waiting for you guys to go well we don't really expect you to do all those things and then I go really and you say yeah it's okay and I say okay sorry for being passive aggressive (laughs) (laughs) the only kind of aggressive I can be (laughs) no you're so that you're very right that that works only in situations where people don't feel entitled so if you're with if you're in with a spider and you start to say, oh, what about me? I remember talking to one woman who was, she was a client. She was monumentally narcissistic. And she was like, I can't believe these men I date. I mean, after a few years, it's always, what about me? Don't I count? <laughs> no, they don't count. I mean, there are people who, who aren't going to like it. 
when you stop helping too much. They like you to be codependent and it's still the worst thing you can do for everyone involved. Do you think that with people who do feel entitled to that sort of that that quality of caretaking or whatever, uh-huh. do you think you can like restructure a relationship with them that's not based on that or if they're in that place is it just like probably better to move on I think you can restructure it and that is the work of a lot of marriages uh, like straight marriages where there's cisgender norms um but the the woman says to the man you know you're really entitled and he goes really I didn't notice and Mm. she says yeah you do and same with um like white fragility like if people come and explain to me where I'm entitled and how I'm assuming my right to get things from them I'm like oh my god I'm so sorry Mm. and I changed my behavior so that's I think the vast majority of people so you're just talking about where it's invisible privilege that can be worked with but that's different from where there's actual narcissism and you don't know which it is until you start until you stop over helping oh interesting and when you say okay where's the limit of my resentment like I'm really resenting talking to you for two hours a week so I'm going to cut down to one Mm. and you say you know what I'm really exhausted you're my best friend or whatever but I only want to talk to you for one hour a week until Mm. I'm less busy and they go oh wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of, I mean, they get mm. really nasty. The spider loves the fly, but only in a consumptive sense. And right. when you try to leave, they sting, they bite. And that's a really good sign that you should be out of there. <laughs> Do you have experience of trying to get out of one of these? Oh uh, Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. You may not know this, but I was raised Mormon. I know. What? It's crazy. Also, later, you probably, I've never mentioned this. I went to Harvard. Marty, there's so I never much told you. You just never tell never me anything. Anyone. But let me tell you a little bit about um, growing up Mormon. I later did some research on the subculture when I was a sociologist. And <laughs> let me tell you something about growing up Mormon. <laughs> Once I'd finished with it, I researched it. There I did. You go. That's how I got out, you know, <laughs> get, get research credit for le- saving your life. So, I was interviewing women and one of them said, um, she went to her religious authority and she said, you know, my family makes me do everything for them. I'm exhausted. I can't take this much longer. And they treat me like I'm a a second class citizen. And the guy looked at her and he goes, but sister, you are a second class citizen. Mm. And so that was, she was supposed to go home. Good Lord. I heard so many stories, not just in Mormonism of couples going to a family therapist and saying, He's fine, but she's exhausted and can't seem to get her shit together. Like she's doing all these things and she's tired. And they would all sit around talking about what to do to medicate her so she'd be happy in that role. Wow. Instead of questioning the role itself. The role, yeah. And that was that was non-Mormon. Like there is this entitlement built into every piece of society. And depending on where you happen to live or be born or be characterized, that's going to happen to you. And what you have to do then is... You know, no, you... no, 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 no. I'm asking about you and Me. how you have done this. Was I climbing up on my life coaching pedestal yeah, again? Yeah, you were a little bit, yeah. What you have to do is... No, 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 no. You know that it's one of your jobs to buff my pedestal. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you call it these days? Ooh. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Pedestal's the wrong word for lesbians, isn't it? It's just... Uh... Yeah, I'm not sure what you have to buff, but we'll talk about that in another episode. <laughs> what I do 
is not advisable. And that is I go to passive aggressive, like, oh, I get sick so that I literally physically can. Mm. And then I'm trying, even though I'm sick to do something. At a certain point, I get angry. And then I become what I call the exploding doormat. Mm-hmm. You know, use me, use me, use me. Why do you always use me? Like, mm. that's not healthy either. And I've tried to do a lot less of it in recent decades. <laughs> <laughs> but when you, it's like you've got a pillow smashed against your face. First, you, you know, protest weakly, and then your survival skills will kick in, your survival instincts. And what you want to do is stop it. This is what you want to do. Oh, my pedestal. What I try to do. <laughs> is stop it before I kill anyone. <laughs> yeah. No, I think like so many of us relate to the exploding doormat. I, yeah. I've done that so many times. Yeah. And I just, you have to pick it up at a place that's not explosive, but it's still, you know, that's what a lot of us over helpers say that we're not, we don't have a right to get angry until we are literally about to die. Yeah. You gotta, the mother bear will not do for any other bear what that bear can do for itself. And that's better for all the bears. Yeah. I just realized that the mother bear, her ego might also be invested in the bears can't do it for themselves. Only I can do it for the little baby bears. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like that, that there's also, there's some ego work yeah, that that's the, true. The, the fly has to do as well. Can I talk about one more piece of research? I'm sorry. It's not mine. They found in the eighties when men were trying to step up and help more with housework, that a lot of the wives, when they would do studies on, on households would shame and basically, uh, belittle and attack the husbands for doing the housework wrong and it was like no this is the way you do it I hate it it's too much for me but I'm proud of the way I do it and I get to control it and so weirdly they were losing part of their own ego investment when somebody else took part of the job Hmm. and I felt what's that what that's like when I think I know how to do something and someone comes to help and I'm just like I need the help but you're doing it wrong mm-hmm. you, let, you have to let the other bears do it the way the bears do it mm. if they're not endangering life or country or whatever let them do it the way they do it yeah I'm Take all for that I'm all yeah. for that yeah get off the web not the internet the spider web get off whatever web is causing you to overhelp and under care for yourself and if you are a bear Mm. And you're caught in a spider's web. Mm. Really, like, buck up. For God's sake. Yeah, for God's sake. Let's pull yourself together. Yes. Yeah. Nobody's that codependent. I think Bev has pretty much (laughs) figured it out via this podcast, don't you? How could she not have? (laughs) Bev, she's wrapped in spider silk. She's fighting her way out. She's exploding like a doormat. She's got bears everywhere. It's a wonderful time in the bewildered universe. Yeah. I think all our bewilderment really just comes down to mixed metaphors <laughs> like it's it's true. mixed metaphors one of my kids once said to me gosh mom it must be great to make a living extending metaphors and I was like it is <laughs> but I won't do it for you because you're gonna do it for yourself <laughs> you can extend your own metaphors so with that I think it's time to say to Bev and all our wonderful people out there stay, stay wild we hope you're enjoying bewildered If you're in the USA and want to be notified when a new episode comes out, text the word WILD to 570-873-0144. We're also on Instagram. Our handle is bewilderedpodcast. You can follow us to get updates, hear funny snippets and outtakes, and chat with other fans of the show. 
Bewildered is produced by Scott Forster with support from the brilliant team at MBI. And remember, if you're having fun, please rate and review and stay wild. You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think and the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to marthabeck.com and you'll find your way.